Hello and welcome to Squawkbox. Here are your headlines today. Bundesbank President Joachim Nagel dismisses the IMF's recession warning for Germany, while telling CNBC in an exclusive interview Berlin's energy woes are a thing of the past. The German economy improved a lot over the past couple of, of weeks and months, so the adaption capacity of the German industry is pretty high. The energy crisis is more or less solved. Belgium central bank governor Pierre Wunsch hails the strength of Europe's banking system and tells CNBC where he sees the ECB's terminal rate ending up this cycle. Market expectations have been moving to between have been moving between three and a half and four percent over the last few months. I think since mm -hmm. the start of the year. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good approximation of where we might be going uh, on the basis of what we know today. Fed minutes out. Quite interesting in terms of the market interpretation. They pushed US markets into the red over banking concerns. This as the March inflation data hit its lowest level in almost two years. Meanwhile, the IMF's first deputy managing director says central banks must maintain the fight against price pressures. It's hard at this point to conclude that we are now decisively heading back to central bank targets, which is why our advice remains to stay the course on inflation. Meanwhile, Chinese exports post a surprise jump of almost 15% in March, breaking a five-month run of declines. And high-end fashion is back in vogue as LVMH posts a 17% jump in first quarter sales, with the world's largest luxury company boosted by strong demand in China. So, very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program this Thursday morning. ECB policymakers uh, seeking to downplay recession fears and worries of a wider banking crisis. This after the IMF start warnings that global growth could slow this year and next. The Bundesbank president and ECB governing council member Joachim Nagel telling CNBC he didn't see signs of credit tightening in the Eurozone but he admitted that future rate hikes are still necessary. Meanwhile, fellow members of the ECB Governing Council and the Governor of the National Bank of Belgium, Pierre Wunsch, said the ECB has some catching up to do and future rate increases uh, will be data dependent. Bundesbank President Joachim Nagel then telling CNBC he doesn't expect to see a recession in Europe's largest economy. Let's hear the sound. I'm even more positive than the IMF, so I do not see the mild recession for this year. I think maybe the first quarter could be a rather weak quarter, but the rest of the year seems to be pretty good. So we are ending up with maybe a tiny plus or something like this. But the German economy improved a lot over the past couple of, of weeks and months. So the adaption capacity of the German industry is pretty high. The energy crisis is more or less solved so we had really worried situation in the past but this is now this is now over and the outlook is 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 good do you really believe the energy crisis is solved there's not going to be a problem going into next winter yeah i think you're right this was a mild winter but also uh, germany did a lot to to overcome this dependency regarding russian gas so mm -hmm. there's no dependency anymore there's now more lng and this is something that will not go away. It, it will be there also for the next winter. And this mild winter also helped for the next winter. So the storages are pretty 
so the, so that they are they are pretty full. So I'm mm. I'm really positive. Well, I follow the PMI data quite closely, and I think what's interesting there is there's a big distinction between some of the strength that has come through on the services side versus the weakness that we're still seeing in, in manufacturing. And in some cases, we're still far away from pre-pandemic levels. What can be done to get German manufacturing back to where it was? Uh, I guess we shouldn't forget where we came from. We, we were in a rather, let me say, complicated, tough situation that started with that war of aggression of Russia against Ukraine February last year. And we, we shouldn't forget what we achieved over the last uh, 15 months. So, as I said, the German industry has a good capability to deal with this situation. There is this inherent strength of the German economy. And I believe uh, they will overcome this and they will mm. go back to the levels we saw before the pandemic. Meanwhile, Pierre Wunsch, governor of the National Bank of Belgium, told CNBC that inflation is still a concern for ECB policymakers, but he reiterated that he was less worried over the strength of Europe's financial system. It means we have more to do. Uh, how much? Um, I mean, part of the concern, of course, is what's taking place on the banking front. Mm -hmm. But honestly, uh, it seems to be more of an American, uh, so far an American issue than in Europe. Of course, we had... Uh, you know, um, some some movements in market movements over the last few weeks. Yeah. But but essentially, I mean, we have a very strong banking system, mm. so we don't believe it's going to have a big impact on the economy. Mm. So yes, directionally, we have to do more. How mm. much? Uh, we still have one inflation reading before we take this decision in May. Yeah. But uh, it's going, I guess, to be between 25 and 50 basis points. So, so those are the options on the table, either a 25 or a 50 at this I think point. there is a strong consensus that we have to do more. How mm. much is going to depend, I guess, also on the reading in, in, of inflation. Yeah. In Wh why is the ECB moving away from pre-committing to further interest rate hikes? Well, I think we had some catching up to do. Uh, and so we, we wanted to convey the message that we had, uh, you know, uh, a substantial move to, to do to catch up on inflation being much higher than we thought. Uh, now I think we are in a situation where we, we can afford, uh, well, and, and actually we have to really be more dependent on, on incoming data. Um, it doesn't mean that we are, you know, at the end of, of uh, hiking, but it means that we are in a position where probably we, we can be more sensitive to where inflation is going on a month-by-month on -month mm -hmm. basis. And of course, the, you know, new projections, if you would have any. But that's so go back to what you more. were saying about doing more and at 25 or 50. What new information would you need to see in order to be convinced that at 25 basis points would be more appropriate? Well, I guess it, a lot will depend on the reading uh, of, of core. If it keeps going up, uh, that, of course, would be very bad news. Uh, if it slows down, but you know, one of course, one month reading is not going to to, to, yeah. to be a big change. But but we have had three months of, of uh, core reading which were moving in the wrong direction. Yeah. Uh, another fourth reading moving in the wrong direction, I think, would would shift the boat. Mm. But we can have a surprise in the other direction. Germana also caught up with the IMF's first deputy managing director, Gita Kapinath, who said that the fund is more cautious about the outlook for global growth amid turmoil in the financial sector. Since last January, we've seen developments in financial markets that have given us some more pause in terms of thinking of what the outlook can be. So we still do see the possibility of a soft landing. I think it's just gotten harder than it was in January. And the reason for that is 
the financial stresses, for instance, that we yeah. saw in March, that, you know, has calmed down. But this is just the beginning. We could see more uh, such financial stresses when you're coming off a period of very low interest rates with the sudden hike in interest rates of the kind we have seen. Mm -hmm. So this is why we have more caution than we did in January. I just wonder if the whole banking stress incidents hadn't happened in the U.S. and in Switzerland as well in Europe, whether or not that economic outlook would have been changed. How much of a role did it play? It certainly played an important role, especially in terms of how we think of the balance of risks. The baseline hasn't changed that much relative to the growth estimates we put out in January. But in terms of the balance of risks, we now see it firmly to the downside, as opposed to in January where it was a little more mixed. Mm -hmm. So it certainly had an important effect. Mm -hmm. And elsewhere, the OECD Secretary General Matthias Cormann has told CBC that its global growth expectations are now more optimistic. The outlook remains fragile and the risks are tilted to the downside. But having said that, our outlook is slightly more optimistic now uh, than what it was towards the end of uh, last year. I mean, business and consumer confidence uh, is up uh, in uh, you know, key economies, including the United States. Uh, growth um, has proven to be more resilient than expected. Consumer spending is, is strong. Labor markets are tight. Mm. Uh, inflation remains too high and is coming uh, down too slowly. And mm. so there is... Uh, still uh, you know, significant work to be done on that front and, and yeah. there are downside risks you know including and in particular related to the uh, ongoing war in Ukraine mm -hmm. and intensifying uh, intensifying geopolitical tensions in other parts of the world notably uh, in uh, you know, in relation to China and, and Taiwan. You mentioned earlier as well when you were listing the state of the economy uh, and the fact that it is proving proving to be a bit more resilient uh, than we had thought it was going to be one of those characteristics is a tight labor market still. So there is still hope then for this soft landing to, to be achieved. Well, that continues to be the challenge and, and there is a narrow path and, and you know, obviously central banks around the world, policymakers around the world are very focused on finding that path uh, to uh, secure a soft landing. Uh, I mean, there is a need to get uh, inflation uh, back uh, under control. There is a, a need to get uh, growth uh, back onto a, a sustainable trajectory uh, for the future. And, um, you know, arguably uh, labor markets around the world um, and, and consumer spending around the world uh, is still somewhat overheated and there is still uh, the need for corrective action. U.S. inflation eased in March to its lowest level in almost two years. The consumer price index rose 0.1% for the month and 5% from a year ago, less than expected, well down from the 6% annual rate recorded in February. Core inflation, though, remains sticky, up 0.4% on the month and 5.6% on the year. Energy costs fell and food prices were flat on the month while used vehicle prices also fell but an uptick in shelter costs which rose over eight percent in the 12 months to march kept underlying inflation stubbornly high meanwhile minutes from the fomc meeting in march show the fed expects the recent banking crisis to lead to a mild recession later this year several policymakers considered a pause in the rate cycle last month, but ultimately decided to continue pushing rates higher. The minutes show bank failures brought new concerns over broader economic conditions. But Vice Chair for Supervision Michael Barr told Congress last month the banking sector is, quote, sound and resilient, Karen. 
Jeff, let's just take a look at the market reaction to the minutes, but also the CPI numbers, big ticket item for a lot of investors waiting it out. And what we saw, a reversal across the board, concerns around recession, saw the Dow also give up its winning streak, four-day winning streak, moving into negative territory, down by about a tenth of a percent. Still positive for the trading week so far. Elsewhere on the S&P, second negative session in a row, and also uh, sixth negative session out of seven for the Nasdaq, which you may recall has been in weaker territory versus the other major indices for a number of sessions but uh, investors clearly taking stock of what remains on the interest rate story just how many more rate hikes are required based on still elevated CPI even though there's some progress on a monthly basis the Nasdaq peeling south you can see by just over eight tenths of a percent in fact not a great trading week for technology names overall let me take you to treasuries we did see a little bit of movement too at the short end moving south uh, by a number of basis points we're back below the four percent mark 3.98 is where we're tracking at this stage as still the market anticipated uh, action is that the Fed will hike in May and that is still priced in but uh, the 10-year 3.41 where we're tracking at this stage to the dollar trade, uh, we've been tracking around two-month lows on dollar index. Sterling, the supporter this morning, up just over um, up a fraction, not quite a tenth of a percent. Slightly weaker on euro, but don't forget we've claimed fresh territory, elevated around the 109.87 mark, and uh, we saw much higher levels too in trade yesterday where investors are also just watching this policy divergence that there's still room ahead for the ECB to hike, even if the US central bank, the Fed, is getting closer to the terminal rate. And let's um, take a look elsewhere, and uh, you can see dollar yen rates 133.20, fractionally higher at this stage. Well, Jeff Taylor joins us now, founder and managing director at Digital Risk. Jeff, welcome. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on the show. It's certainly been an interesting 24 hours as we look at the wash-up from the Fed minutes that some of the participants were concerned about the impact of banking turmoil, yet we've got this data piece telling us that core CPI remains a challenge. What's the playbook for the Fed from here? Well, thank you very much for having me today. So, look, the flight, the flight on inflation is starting to work. As we said, year over year, we've got uh, a core and CPI down from 6% to 5%, and we have core CPI at 5.6%. Now, again, this probably is, is still far from what the Fed wants at uh, 2%. So as we look at the May 3rd uh, Fed uh, meeting, probably going to see a 25 basis points um, rate increase at that point. And then rents are still 8.8% of CPI, which is stubbornly high uh, currently as we would like it to be. Jeff, if we take a look at the impact of uh, the banking turmoil in recent weeks, there's still a big question mark. I mean, Jay Powell back in a news conference was effectively saying that uh, there should be some tightening credit conditions that may do the job for the Fed, but that if it didn't happen, that the Fed might have to do more. You've been looking at this through the lens of the housing market. How much tightening do you think we're going to see in some of those lending standards, willingness to lend out to consumers because of the hit to the banks in recent weeks? You know, it's a really good question. If you would have gone back 45 days ago, um, so in the U.S. housing market, there's really there's two ways to look at it. If they're selling a conforming loan that can go to Freddie Fannie or FHA, I think the business is still that's not going to be affected. Okay, but if you're talking about putting stuff on balance sheet, which is a home equity loan or jumbo products, those have compressed over the course of the last 30 days, and we're seeing everybody, big banks, take a look at their lending standards and compress them to make sure they have enough liquidity. God forbid, should they need it on a, on a moment's notice. So we definitely have seen a change over the last 30 days. And I think that we're going to continue to see that over the next uh, four to six months until there's a sense that we're sort of on global, stable ground in regards to the banking sector.
Jeff, as you've, as you've pointed out, one of the, the, the big differences in this report from the previous one was the change in the energy price. Unfortunately, since then, we've been overtaken by this OPEC cut. And if you just look at Brent, we're up 18% on the month so far. If we now think about what the next inflation report is going to look like, we've had a reversal then in the energy price, the headline oil price. We've also had a reversal in used car prices, it seems to me. Should we be concerned that actually we're going to get a reacceleration on headline? You know, I, I think as we look at going forward right now, I think it's not going to be a reacceleration on headline, but if I bring this back into the housing market, you know, when people are looking to buy a house right now at an interest rate of about six and a half percent, they can still put five percent down from an affordability perspective. And if that household is making ninety-seven thousand dollars, they can get into a house. I don't know anywhere else in the country where you can put five percent down and get into a house with that kind of an income level, that's the income level. So from that perspective, I think it is still very solid. It's interesting you make that point because, you know, much of the focus on the wash up on the banking sector at the moment is just on how much tighter credit credit conditions and, and lending standards are going to be from here on in. And I, I still feel that we're not really out of the woods on this story yet. Do you anticipate that those lending requirements are going to get tougher here as we begin to understand just how deep the problem is in the regional banks? I do. And again, I'll just kind of repeat this, but I think there's from the housing market perspective that I'll go broader and housing. It really comes down to if these loans have a, they have a place for a takeout. Right. Like I said, back to Fannie or Freddie, I don't think that the lending standards are going to change that much from a U.S. housing market perspective. That being said, anything going on balance sheet, right, whether it be credit card or being on auto or home equity, that is drastically changing for all the reasons you just said, especially on the regional, especially for regional banks who have obviously there's more concern around their, their liquidity. Um, and again, it's where they have inverse interest rates right now where they put money to work at 2% and they're paying off at 4%. So all those are coming back to still having a concern as far as to putting new assets on balance sheet right now. Jeff, we've been having a debate as to why demand isn't cooling at this point, the wash up of all those COVID trends still. But uh, we've still got a resilient labour market, which may be fueling some of the consumption we're seeing out there. It's just not happening necessarily in the housing market. As you point out that uh, we're still at a very interesting point when it comes to what those uh, housing loans look like at this stage. What comes next? Because if housing loans and the rates come down again, uh, even if we're looking at a recession, what does that do if the labour market remains resilient? It's a great question. And the big, I think the, the big factor there is over the last decade, there was about 6 million houses we didn't build in the U.S. So when you take a look at how tight the inventory is, it, it's still incredibly tight. And then so you look, take a look at what's the seller buyer scenario here. All right. If, uh, over in 2023, people who have been buying houses, when the interest rate gets around 6%, they get active in the marketplace. And for a seller, they get active when it, it gets down about 5.2 or 5.9. So the math kind of works like this. If I'm a seller and I want to buy a new house, I'm going to have to be able to put down a larger down payment at a six and a half percent interest rate for in order for the math to work for me to get into a new house. So as we as we think about um, asset allocation at the moment, Jeff, I mean, what are you what are you considering at this stage? There's a real 
battle going on here between the fundamentals and sentiment and I just wonder you know how you see this breaking down here because we still need a, a bit more clarity about the resilience of the labor market we need a bit more clarity about the Fed's intentions and about inflation but you know money doesn't sit still so you've got to make some calls look I totally agree again from the housing market perspective look structurally we are very sound. And the reason I make that comment is some people have said, like, well, is the housing market heading back for a, in the U.S., like a 2008 financial crisis scenario? That's not it. So I think from a housing market, from a delinquency rate, we are still very strong. When I look at, at other at other asset classes, you know, from an equities perspective, um, I think you're going to still see a lot of volatility because it's going to be a, kind of that that chain event where, for instance, if you have a big issue in, in, the, um, in the banking sector, it could bleed over you know, into autos, into other areas. So again, I think we're in for the next six to nine months. I think it's going to still be, you know, a very tenuous, nervous type situation. But again, if I come back to the fundamentals, especially the housing market, you know, I feel extremely, extremely good about the U.S. housing market going forward. All right. Well, very nice to have you on. And thanks for getting up for us. I know it's very early there or very late, depending on how you run your life. Jeff Taylor, founder and managing director at Digital Risk. Still to come on the program, Chinese trade data. Is it a strong number? You know, we had some pretty weak inflation figures recently, but how did they do on the export figures? We'll have a look at them when we come back. And for more from our exclusive interview with Bundesbank President Joachim Nagel, you can check out this Sportbox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. So that cliffhanger we set you before the break, Chinese trade data, how did they do? Well, it blew past expectations in the month of March, with exports swinging to a huge beat, jumping 14.8% on the year, against expectations of a 7% dip. Imports also surprised, falling far less than expected, while the trade surplus came in more than double expectations. Let's get to Sam now. And Sam, you know, the last piece of information we had on, on, the, on this series of data appeared to suggest quite a bit of weakness, particularly on the import side. What do we take away from these numbers today? Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, this was a very impressive set of numbers. I think the big question now for the market is just how sustainable it is because what we've seen is not too much of a reaction when it comes to Chinese stocks. We just got this data as we were heading into the lunch break, but we've seen a fairly flat performance for most of the day for the Shanghai Composite. And as you can see there, a negative picture playing out for the Shenzhen market and also the CSI 300 index. So perhaps investors are waiting for further confirmation of the strength of this recovery. Given 
given just how surprising this was and how inconsistent you could say uh, it is with the other data which had certainly suggested in the PMIs that uh, this export growth had remained sluggish in the month of uh, March and also when you look at uh, the uh, manufacturing side of the equation slower to recover than what we're seeing certainly on the consumption side it just hasn't been keeping up with the pace of that post reopening rebound we've seen um, but this really is a, a significant jump in terms of those exports the market was looking for the sixth month of declines now not only did they snap five months in terms of falling growth but actually came in double digits so now we're looking at the kind of numbers that we were looking at around the first half of last year when China's economy was relatively okay and of course that was front-loading a lot of those orders before those higher rates kicked in in other trading markets and, and partners. Um, but there has been some suggestion that this may be partly down to some base effects. Um, what the Chinese authorities have said, the Customs Bureau, is that NEVs, lithium batteries and solar panels were uh, some of the biggest drivers of some of that export growth. So it'll be interesting to see where some of that actually went. Goldman Sachs also with, out with a note suggesting that this could perhaps be down to some of the um, strengthening partnerships we've seen with emerging market trading partners because there certainly has been an effort we've seen in recent months, particularly when China was in lockdown. We heard of stories of Chinese business uh, people actually chartering planes to go to other markets to try to get some of those orders and secure um, those sales because of the worries about uh, some of the higher rates and inflationary environment in other parts uh, of the world. Now, with those imports, it was interesting as well, not as bad uh, as first feared. So we did get uh, around a 1.5% decline. Um, that certainly suggests that perhaps the domestic picture is not as bad uh, as first thought, although it probably does still point to some persistent weakness when you look at things like the property sector. Uh, but that was also helped out by uh, coal imports, which hit a three-year high. And that is largely down to expectations of this recovery. So as I mentioned, I think I think the market is looking for further confirmation of the strength of this and just how sustainable this is going to be moving forward. Guys, back to you in London. Sam, thanks for breaking down the numbers for us. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.